Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, last year I had a fellow by the name of Clint Emerson on the podcast. He's a retired Navy SEAL, and he came on the show to talk about his first book, 100 Deadly Skills, The SEAL Operative's Guide to Eluding Pursuers, Evading Capture, and Surviving Any Dangerous Situation. It was one of my favorite episodes from last year and a favorite of listeners as well. Well, Clint's back with another book filled with deadly skills. This time around, it's 100 Deadly Skills, Survival Edition, The SEAL Operative's Guide to Surviving in the Wild and Being Prepared for Any Disaster. In it, he, along with AOM illustrator Ted Slampiak, show readers how to survive in any environment they might find themselves from the desert to the mountains to the sea. The book also covers how to manage disasters at home. Today on the show, Clint and I talk about the mindset you need to survive any deadly scenario, including how to create a tactical nightstand. Yes, a tactical nightstand. How to combat clear your home if you want to do that, and what to do in a carjacking, that and much more. Stay tuned for this for a fun, action-focused podcast. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash deadly skills one clint emerson welcome back to the show hey brett thanks for having me it's awesome to be back yeah so i mean it's been about a year since you're we had you on the show uh you came out with your book 100 deadly skill skills the seal operative's guide to eluding pursuers evading capture and surviving any dangerous situation and uh, we got a lot of positive feedback from that episode uh people loved it and your book has gotten a lot of positive feedback in the with the rest of the public uh, this was a, a book that became a New York Times bestseller, sold like hotcakes. I mean, what do you think accounts for the popularity of this kind of subject? Where you know you were in the first book, you were talking about how to do anal concealments and uh, how to survive, you know, active shooter situations, which I can understand because that's that's a thing, or like how to bury a dead body. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of that stuff was fun, but there's a lot of actually practical information in there. But what do you think is what's what itch are you scratching here with the book? Well, with that first one, I mean, as you noted, it, it, it had some taboo stuff and taboo cells. I mean, but the bigger piece of it is it followed the theme of a violent nomad, which is, you know, trying to push people to be a little more self-reliant, be more reliable on themselves, vice relying on 911 or people around them and uh, kind of give them some skills that are, you know, nefarious in nature and most of them developed by bad guys and you know, the goal really was, hey, if you know the bad guy's offense, then you can create a better defense. You know, this is the basics to, you know, solid warfare. So 
that first book um, certainly hit a bunch of stuff that was entertaining, but at the same time informative. And that's that's kind of the the, the overarching goal is you want to give people information that's you know easily remembered and digestible, and you know give them just what they need to know without all the other rhetoric. And uh, do you have any ideas sort of what your readership was like? I mean, it's, I'm sure it's, I mean, if it made the New York Times bestseller list, that doesn't mean it was just like the, the survival prepper, prepper guys that were buying it. These were like average Joes from every walk of life, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it became a, you know, there's some strategy, as you know, with books, you know, we're coming out in October before the holiday season. It's a great stocking stuffer, but at the same time, you know, there's, you got a group of men that have it sitting next to the toilet and then you have, uh, uh, families that have it sitting on the coffee table. And then you have, you know, um, people that travel business that, you know, carry it with them everywhere they go. Um, and I was surprised by the number of females that enjoyed the book um, because they felt like the skills, all those skills is something really anyone can do. Um, and I think a majority of the people that bought it uh, were also looking for something new. If you look at you know, yesterday's survival books, they really don't cover today's threats. And between, you know, the first book and now definitely the the second one, um, you've got 200 solid skills that uh, are, that really become a, a playbook when dealing with any kind of crisis or threat that may come walking your way. Right. So yeah, you got a second book out. Uh, again, like with the first, you teamed up with Ted Slampiak, the guy who does a lot of our illustrations on the art of manliness. Uh, it's 100 Deadly Skills Survival Edition and concentrates, as the title says, on being prepared for surviving just about any scenario in the wild, in urban areas, in your home. Um, so first question there is, how does, and I think you kind of mentioned it earlier that the yesterday's survival book isn't, they're not as they're not that they're kind of outdated. So how does the modern landscape make survival a more complicated business than say, you know, 20 years ago or even like going back, you know, to primitive times? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, one, the over the bigger issue these days is complacency. And I think we touched on it last time. I know I touched on it with everybody I've talked to and we are leashed to technology and between technology and just natural human behavior to be somewhat to take shortcuts and be lazy um, and always looking for the answers at our fingertips um, has really just sucked all of our basic human instincts, you know, kind of away from us. And, you know, when you talk about old school survival skills that, you know, our fathers and our grandfathers used to know, and it was kind of just common knowledge. Today, no one really knows how to do it anymore, nor do they want to learn it because they feel like they can just Google it. And, um, but the problem is, is when, you know, when the lights go out, the power goes down or, you know, bigger state sponsored cyber attacks start to emerge, you'll find yourself in a very primitive situation, except the difference is, is you won't have the knowledge. You won't know how to deal with it. Um, there's been, you know, plenty of natural disasters, like you compare it to something like Katrina, where they were surrounded by water, but none of it was drinkable. And no one knew really what to do with all that water in order to make it drinkable. So, you know, even though the book breaks out skills in the wild, the reality is the wild can be in urban environments. It just really depends on the crisis that, uh, that, that, you know, brings it in. 
Right. That point about cyber attacks, that's interesting because I think that's going to be a bigger problem. I mean, we just experienced one a few months ago that took out a big portion of the internet. Like I know it affected our store. There was a DDoS attack and our store was down for pretty much the entire day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, you know, we don't give it the credit it deserves. And when you talk about state sponsored stuff coming our way, whether it's Russia or China, um, or even if it's just, you know, organizations that are, you know, anti-USA, uh, you, people forget that it's their cyber infrastructure that controls water, transportation, you know, power grids. Um, all of it can be hacked and then turned off in a split second. And then that's when you're left with, oh, now what do I do? You know, you can't, if you can't use your devices, you can't log in, you can't get on your computer, you can't even turn on the lights. Um, those are those moments when you might want to have some skills in your back pocket. Right. Uh, so uh, to, to counter that, to be ready for the situations where the wild comes to you, right, for whatever reason, you advocate for people to make themselves crisis proof. Uh, so what are, I mean, let's talk about mindset of becoming crisis proof. I mean, what is, what is the mindset that people need to develop in order to become crisis proof, as you say? Yeah, you know, we talk about awareness all the time, but really it, it still anchors to that. You know, you have to start paying attention. The way I break down awareness is, you know, your personal awareness. That's your projection and demeanor management, how you dress, how you walk. You know, a lot of things you write about, you know, that, you know, what makes a man a man? Um, and how do you do that without your ego dressing you each day? You know, our egos dress us and want us to, you know, basically be different than the person next to us on the subway. And when in reality, you've got to be the gray guy. And so it all starts with your personal awareness, you know, literally looking in the mirror and going, all right, what am I telling everyone by what I'm wearing, um, how I talk, uh, and what I do, my mannerisms. Um, and then from that, you know, then you get into like third party awareness, you know, understanding that people are looking at you, watching you all the time. Um, and, and they're forming, you know, they're forming opinions and judging you without even knowing you. And I think we all know that that occurs, but you can manipulate it to a certain degree, especially when we're talking, talking about man versus man type threats out there. Then you have situational awareness, which, you know, I think is overused verbally, you know, and, you know, it has a, we always articulate, yeah, situational awareness, but how often do people actually become more situationally aware and how do you make it a habit um, like putting on your seatbelt? There was a time when no one wore seatbelts um, and they put annoying buzzers inside your cars and then they, you know, you can get a ticket. And then over time, it's become something you do and you don't even know you do it. And that's kind of where you got to get awareness. It's not about, okay, I'm going to pay attention all day today because that's energy consuming. You, you have to kind of piecemeal it a little bit, you know, like, all right, on the hour, every hour, especially while I'm driving, I'm going to kind of look around and make sure I know what's going on and slowly introduce it into your, into your world so that it then becomes a habit more naturally. And then, and then of course, cultural awareness. So, you know, what's going to offend people, what doesn't offend people and making sure you understand the do's and don'ts, the geographical location you're standing on. If you combined all of that together, now what are you doing? You're, you're projecting something much different. You're paying attention to things. You're, you're actually getting educated to a certain degree on kind of the do's and don'ts, um, whether it's third party awareness or cultural awareness. And before you know it mentally, now you are 
you know, these are all kind of like things you can control. Uh, and now you're, you're reducing all of your threat vulnerabilities and hopefully reducing crisis because, you know, most of the time, the clues and the cues are right there staring us in the face. And it's not until after the event, the incident, or the crisis that you go bang your head against the wall going, God, I saw that coming, but I did absolutely nothing about it. Right. So it's a great uh, breakdown of the mindset. I mean, what about the like, big picture skills, right? So the skills you need for different situations are going to vary, right? Whether you're in a, a desert situation or you're surviving a tornado or you're surviving a, a riot or whatever. But I mean, are there bigger picture skills that can cross over to all these different domains that you need to have in your back pocket? Yeah, I think, you know, when we're talking mentally, you know, this is something that's not going to be conditioned just by reading a book or overnight. It's, it's a level of confidence that you've got to have um, knowing that, all right, um, you've, gotten educa- you've got some sort of education in, in you know, different, you know, w- whether it's using the 100 Deli Skill playbooks or, you know, experience that, you know, that you've accumulated over your life, you combined all that together. And it's all about the confidence that you have when you face these these events and taking control of what you can control. You know, it's the only things we can truly control when it comes to any kind of event is preparation and response. And so mentally, you're literally running through, okay, what can I do right now when I have plenty of time and zero stress that can make me more effective, more efficient, increase survivability when something bad happens? That's all about the prep. You know, there's things you can do and there's a way that you can think about things. You can what if it, you know, and run scenarios. Then on the response side, which is the other piece you control, those are, those are decisions that you've already made. And now all you do is act them out when a good day goes bad. And so I think if people are mentally, you know, immersing themselves into that what if, worst case scenario, okay, what can I do to prep for something like this, whatever that event is? And then how would I properly respond to it? Jeez, you've just, you've just done far more than the average person to be prepared for that event. And not only are you preparing yourself, now you probably have thought about, well, okay, it's not about just me. It's also my family or maybe the people around me. And you're actually you know, doing something instead of just sitting there. Right. So it sounds like you're, you're getting your OODA loop in gear before the event actually happens, before you have to make a decision. Oh, yeah. You definitely, you, you know, the OODA loop's great for, you know, dealing with whatever's going on at that moment. But yeah, you certainly, I mean, it's a proven fact that you do not want to make decisions in crisis. You want to have that stuff already figured out. So all you do is act on those decisions. You know, any decision made in crisis is going to be a 50-50 chance. Whereas if you kind of think them through and have your decisions already figured out, um, when you've got more of a clinical, you know, where you have plenty of time and zero stress, you know, that's the ideal spot to make your decisions. And then if something bad happens, you're good to go. Right. So uh, let's get uh, more specific here, specific tools and skills a man would want to adopt to learn in order to increase his preparation for a crisis. So in the book, you cover, you go over gear and skills for every environment from the desert to the Arctic to the sea and more. But let's start at home. You have a section devoted to your home. That's where stuff can happen. Disasters can happen. Um, We talked about an everyday carry last time for the, the violent nomad. Uh, to consider. Um, but you talk about in the book creating a tactical nightstand. Uh, <laughs> so what items should a guy have close at hand for his tactical nightstand? 
Well, you know, the one that's uh, illustrated in the book and what I talk about is kind of overkill. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of it's stuff. Giving people, yeah, it's giving people options, right? I mean, we have, you know, varying degrees of, you know, people. So, you know, you have lethal, non-lethal means of uh, dealing with, let's say, an intruder. And so you want your nightstand to kind of represent and, ha- and have readily available. You, you take your nightstand, you really look at it as, you know, your, your kit right? You can use it. And a lot of guys already do this, but I kind of wanted to formalize a little bit with options. Um, so, you know, you, you've got to have basic life support, basic defense stuff, you know. Um, it's, you got first aid, you can have that there. You can have anything, everything from a baseball bat to, you know, you know, a firearm of some sort. Um, and then of course you can have, you know, like in the illustration, I got body armor, you know, you've got, you know, everything from, you know, I would always pick bear spray over something like mace, you know, bear spray has that distance. It's got a more potent level of, of pepper in it. And, uh, and still just as, uh, if not more effective than, you know, mace that, you know, squirts, you know, you gotta be intimately, uh, you got to be very intimate with someone to get that mace across. Whereas with bear spray, you can shoot it 30 feet away. And if you don't have any of those, then it, then I, then I have some improvised stuff like wash, you know, wash spray or oven cleaner. He's going to cause permanent damage to a guy. Um, but if he's in his, in your house, then he deserves it. Um, but the big legal takeaway from that is don't think for a second, if you use wash spray or oven cleaner and you carry it in like your purse or in your car, well, now you're talking about a whole, that's, that's actually breaking the law. Most people think that would be okay if you can use mace, but it's a difference between pepper and chemicals. Um, so when it's your own house, your own domain, you can get creative with how you need to take care of an intruder and what you put in your tactical nightstand. Right. So you need a concealed wasp spray to walk around the city with your wasp spray can. <laughs> yeah, a concealed wash spray license, right. yes. <laughs> Otherwise, it's illegal, and that's that's kind of most people don't know that. So, whatever you whatever you use to defend your home is going to be one hundred percent legal, no matter whatever it is, because it's your home and your domain. But as soon as you take some of those th- creative ideas outside your home, you can actually go to jail for it. All right, so don't get creative outside your home. Well, the other thing on there that I think is extremely useful and completely underrated is a flashlight near on your nightstand yeah yeah i mean i you know as you know i've got some interest in the zero trace flashlight which is you know it's waterproof you can beat people's skull and skull with it and it still works it's it's bright as hell and uh you know so there's so many things a lot of people want to turn on the lights when they hear a noise in their house reality is is you know your blueprint better than anyone else so keep that advantage for you keep your lights out um, you know, using a flashlight, you don't want to use it like a spotlight and light everything up because it's giving up your location. It's giving a bad guy a place to shoot. So you want to use it sparingly and you also want to hold it away from your chest, get it out and away from your body. Um, when you're using that flashlight, cause if shots are fired, you want them to go, you know, high and right vice, you know, at your torso. And a common mistake is, is to kind of, you know, hold it at chest level and point it out in front of you. Um, but that's literally just giving bullets, you know, a place to fly to, and, uh, you don't want to do that. Um, but you can also use it as deception too. You know, you can use it to blind a guy and then quickly move, you know, you turn it on, turn it off and move out of the way. 
um, in order to give yourself different advantages um, tactically if you're having to deal with an intruder in your home. But the book certainly lays out, you know, and, and of course, Ted did a great job depicting, you know, the kind of like day and night with his illustrations, um, even though the book is kind of, you know, black and white drawings. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, home invasion, right? This tactical nightstand is there in, in the event that someone comes into your home illegally to to do you and your family harm. So, I mean, how often do home invasions occur? Is it a common thing or is it pretty rare? It's actually on the rise right now for some reason. Um, you're hearing more and more reports of it. And what used to be, you know, okay, someone... There's two kinds of predators, really, and this is very general, but it's a good rule to follow. Anybody who's coming to your home during the day wants your stuff, right? Burglars attack homes during the day because they know everybody's at work and at school. There's, uh, you know, it's more predictable. Um, whereas someone coming to your home at night typically wants you or wants to harm you. So that's your two divisions there between day and night. And, you know, how you how you deal with that obviously is going to be dependent on who you are and where you live. And, um, but the goal is, is having a plan, you know, having some things prepped, having a proper response. Um, and then, you know, having to deal with that as it comes, you know, I talk about fortifying the home. Um, and it's, it's, it's more than just your property. You know, there was plenty of times overseas before we went into a target, some targets just knew we were coming, no matter how great we were at being stealthy or, you know, clandestine with our movements and our actions. And the reason being is because, you know, people overseas still operate and, you know, know that it, you know, quote unquote, takes a village. And uh, so they're watching. Everyone's looking out for one another. And it seems these days in our neighborhoods, no one really even talks to each other, much less have each other's phone numbers so they can text one another if they see something strange in the neighborhood. So that's where I begin is, hey, start talking to your neighbors, start building, you know, some alliances with one another and start looking out for each other so that if something strange rolls through the neighborhood, you can let everybody know. Um, and second to that is, you know, I put in there, me as a professional predator, I'd look at targets, determine their vulnerabilities, and then figure out how best to exploit them. And so I put the reciprocal of that in the book, you know, um, and it's all about lighting up your, you know, the exterior of your home. The more light there is, the better, because that makes anybody creeping up to your house feel completely vulnerable and naked to a certain degree, and they want to deal with it. Um, if you talk to like professional burglars, they avoid homes that have like toys in the front yard because kids are unpredictable. They avoid homes with dogs because no one wants to deal with a dog. They avoid homes that have signage in the front yard, you know, that says alarm system that's clearly visible from the street. You don't want someone coming up to your door to determine whether or not you got good locks or a security system. You don't even want them, you, you want them to keep them as far away as possible. You know, so a lot of people will focus on locks and yeah, I got an alarm system, so I'm good to go. But both of those systems are literally tested. You know, the bad guy has to test that. It means he's already too close and, and we don't want anybody getting that close. We don't even come in our front yard, you know, so you want to push people out with some of these tactics. And if, and for all the single women that potentially are listening, you know, I always say, put a pair of size 12 athletic shoes right at the front door to keep the sexual predators away, you know. All right. So yeah, you want to, so light, light is like, light is key. Illumination is definitely the number one, you know, when we're talking about, you know, at night people sneaking up and doing whatever it is they're going to do. Um, and during the day, you know, having a 
if, if they, I don't even know if they make big wheels anymore, but it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. You've got some kids' toys out in the front yard. Uh, that'll keep most of your professional burglars away because it's just, once again, is there a stay-at-home mom? Is there not? Is there kids there right now? I don't know. I'll move on to the next house. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. 
Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So uh, you have a section in there about how to combat clear your home. Um, that seems like it'd be a pretty dangerous thing to do. I mean, under what circumstances would you want to do that? And under what circumstances would you not want to do that? Yeah, you know, we... <laughs> I think a lot of people that own guns, first of all, they, they know that, okay, I hear a noise or somebody kicks in my door, um, you know, I'm grabbing my gun, I'm calling 911. And then that's kind of where it stops. So I wanted to make it very clear to people that, hey, you know, there's a right and a wrong way of clearing your home if you choose to do so. And this is a very personal decision. This is for the alpha males out there. I mean, yeah, they're going to call them. Priority is to get help and get it coming. But if help is 15 minutes away or you live even even more rural and you know help is you know 30 minutes away, well, then there's certain things you're going to have to do for yourself. And there's a lot of factors here, right? If you live alone, then sure, you can, you're, you're alone you're an alpha, you're an alpha kind of guy. I'm going to clear my house. I'm not running. Um, but if you have family and kids, then obviously maybe, you know, your primary plan is to get everybody, um, out of the home into safety. Um, but for those moments where you feel like you're going to clear the house or you can't run or you can't hide, um, or, you know, help isn't coming anytime soon, then I wanted to let people know, like, or at least show them and give them some guidance on how to pie doorways and how to pie corners properly so that you're not putting yourself right in someone's sights. Um, Because the goal with, you know, clearing your home is to clear it, you know, safely where you can determine, you know, what what the current security posture is. Make sure you are looking out for yourself first um, and not put yourself, you know, right in someone's sights. So, um, clearing a home is, is, isn't a, uh, isn't, I, I wouldn't consider it advanced at all, but it's just giving, giving some simple tactics on kind of the do's and the don'ts and talking about the fatal funnel and, you know, where people's eyes are attracted to, you know, in a combat clearance situation, which is doorways, you know, and you kind of want to stay out of the doorways. You want to pie them properly. You can look at a large percentage of a room, um, just by pieing uh, a certain way and and how you sidestep and how you leverage your gun and your field of view. What do you mean by pieing? You're basically slicing. If, you, if you're coming around a corner, you're using the corner, that wall, you know, um, to one, conceal yourself, but by sidestepping away and not just you're not just button hooking around a corner and trying to TJ hooker it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, you know, we're not, you're not trying to do that. You're literally dissecting the room while still leveraging the corner of a hallway or of a room to protect you, protect yourself and shield yourself, but still being able to, to dissect the room in pieces and clear it from, from head to toe. Um, 
and it's it's hard to verbally describe it, and that's why uh, the illustrations do such a great job, and along with the narrative. Right. So another uh, sort of similar to home invasion is carjacking. Uh, is this a common thing, or is this becoming less common? And it's if you, if it does happen to you, like what do you do? Yeah, th- this is more of a opportunistic, you know, kind of predator's skill, right? You know, this is someone maybe on the run that uh, needs a vehicle. Um, but it's also becoming, um, they're becoming, they're probably happening more often overseas than here in the U.S. So anybody who travels will benefit from some of those skills. Um, but it's also happening at like ATM machines where, you, you know, to drive up ATM machines where you're more vulnerable. Um, so there's three really scenarios that can happen. You know, you're, you're walking to your vehicle and somebody says, hey, you know, give me your car, give me your keys. Uh, there's, you know, the more, the one that we think about the most is, you know, you're driving, you stop at a red light, stop at a stop sign. All of a sudden there's a gun pointed at you at the driver's window. And then there's another tactic is coming in through the passenger door. All of a sudden somebody's sitting next to you with a gun to your head um, where they're making you the driver. Um, so there's different scenarios and different ways to deal with it. But the big takeaway is knowing that you're driving a, you know, anywhere between a four to 6,000 pound weapon. Um, and when you're talking about that external threat and you're in the, you know, you're in the cabin of your own vehicle, um, one, everyone needs to know that there is, all terrain is drivable. And anytime you go to any of the offensive or defensive driving schools, I mean, you'll hear that more than anything else. All terrain is drivable. So what does that mean? Sidewalk, that's sidewalks, grass, you know, you're not confined to the white and yellow lines. So you have to think kind of outside the box. We get kind of stuck, you know, oh, there's a sidewalk there, you know, but you know, you can drive right over that if you need to. But in order to take advantage of drivable terrain, you have to give yourself space. So when you're driving, especially maybe in high threat areas or you're traveling overseas or maybe you're doing business in Mexico City, I mean, it just kind of really depends where you're going and what you're doing, but you want to give yourself plenty of space between the vehicles in front of you and around you so that you can leverage that drivable terrain if somebody shows up at your driver's side window with a weapon. And so once you have that drivable terrain, now if a gun breaches that kind of threshold of the driver's side door or window, you can trap that weapon and hit the gas at the same time. And when I say trap, I mean, literally you're grabbing that weapon and pushing it to the dashboard and then pushing the gas and driving out of there. Um, that guy is not going to be able to do much as soon as you do that. And then of course, once you start driving, keep driving and, you know, get yourself out of danger, get yourself off the X. Right. What happens in the event, say the guy gets in the car and got the gun to you? I mean, what, what should be your strategy then? Um, you know, I always push, you know, you're always looking for the first opportunity of escape. You never want to let yourself get to the second or third stop. Um, you know, that's when survivability and chances of escape become increasingly more complicated. So the sooner you can, you know, literally, you don't even need to throw the thing in park, you know, as soon as you can slow down, get out. Um, if it's someone approaching you like a parking garage situation, you know, it's, I put in there, you know, you need a kind of a distractor and then increase distance, you know, so whether that's throwing your keys, not necessarily at the guy, but throwing them off to the left and then you run right, you know, it's a typical kind of juke left, go right movement. Um, 
And this is where identifying cover becomes so important. You know, we talk about cover as anything that stops bullets. Concealment is equivalent to like, you know, the curtains in your home. You stand behind it. Yeah, you're hidden, but it's not going to stop a bullet. So, you know, this is where, once again, going back to awareness, you know, you're constantly kind of looking around the difference between cover and concealment, and you want to always identify cover. And if you're in a parking garage situation, large structural pillars, you're throwing your keys one way, you're, you know you're going to run from pillar to pillar to pillar, increasing distance between you and the threat. And if it's truly your car they want, give it up. I mean, that's that's number one, just like your wallet. There's, there's, no, there's nothing more precious than your life. So give it up. It's insured. And just get your just get the distance between you and them. Of course, if you're a concealed carry <laughs> kind of guy, then you know, and the guy's already got the draw on you. Well, at that point, you just have to decide, you know, if you're gonna take that risk as well and draw your weapon and blast the guy. But you know, sometimes for you know the average guy that's doing business every day and doesn't carry any weapons, then yeah, throw your keys one way, you run the opposite, and uh, get away from them. So in the last book, the first book, uh, you talked about active shooter situations, um, and you revisit again in this book. I'm curious, has anything changed from you know the first time you wrote the book to what you put in the book this time around? Well, this time, the f- first time around was kind of more holistic in nature. You know, it was kind of like just run, hide, fight, and that's you know a philosophy that I teach in my day job, and also you know. Um, the FBI supports 100%. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of people out there that, you know, have different acronyms, different things, but really it boils down to, you know, running. If you have, if you can run, you should. Increasing your distance from a shooter is always a good thing. Um, If you can hide, you know, then hide behind things that stop bullets and make sure when you hide, know that it's temporary. You don't want to be a sitting duck. Uh, And then, of course, fight. You know, if you're going to fight, fight as a team. Improvised weapons are everywhere. Use them. Um, if you're going to take down someone and that's where it rolls into, okay, now book two, I talk about active shooter takedowns, you know, how to trap that weapon, um, how to take someone down properly. You know, it's basic MMA macro big motor movements because fine motor movements aren't going to work under stress, you know, so we want to be able to, you know, you, you look at the, the bottom of the spine, the top of the spine, you have your head, you have your hips, and the way you control the body is either you control the hips or you control the head. So, you know, one person is designated for head or hips, and then another person is des- designated for the weapon. I go through and illustrate just some examples. You know, there's no right and wrong when it comes to this stuff. It's just win, 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 right? So, and then I took it a little bit further, and we're talking about theater shootings, stadiums, stadium uh, shootings. Um, you know, I kind of break down different tactics and giving people more tactical mindset, you know, that you don't want to go with the flow necessarily when you, when people start, you know, panicking, you know, sometimes it's better to, you know, obviously get down and ID the shooter. Um, cause the last thing you want to do is run towards fire, which a lot of people do when they panic, um, because they just hear the shots. They don't pay attention to where they came from. Um, so I kind of start really digging down into some different tactics that people can leverage in, in different environments in the second book, which which really boils down to the headlines. We keep hearing about it in the headlines. So this second book, I wanted to tackle everything that's in the headlines. Right. So uh, another skill you talk about, going back to cars, is a sinking car, right? You're driving, maybe a bridge collapse, 
and you're underwater in your car, how do you escape a, uh, a sinking car? Yeah, it, I still find it uh, concerning and entertaining that, you know, you watch the news uh, and see people being swept away, you know, by these uh, flash floods. And I'm, I just, it, it baffles me that people continue to think they, are, they can drive a vehicle uh, through, you know, potentially five knot current cruising across the street. Uh, you know, it's just, it's the opposite of hydroplaning, you know, it's, uh, it's the water pushing you instead of you sliding across. And I don't think, I think people underestimate this stuff uh, all the time. Um, but it can turn, it really can go bad very quickly. So I'm giving options to people. One, reroute. If you if there's traffic and, the, and everyone's trying to just you know slowly motor across this you know the rapids in front of them, you know don't be that guy. You know go ahead, back up, reroute. There's always another route. But if you find yourself channelized or the traffic's so bad you can't back up or you didn't give yourself any drivable terrain, then um, okay, you know you, you you or somehow the you know, things go bad and now you're being swept away. You know, one, a glass break tool in your vehicle is number one and have it in a compartment that you can get to. You don't want it sitting in like, you know, the, the cup holder to where, you know, any major hit and it's going to end up on the floorboard and you can't even reach the thing. Um, two, know that, hey, power windows, you know, get them open, create the exits, um, sunroofs, create the exit. Uh, you, you, you have time as long as you can control the panic. Um, knowing the difference between like, you know, the, your front, your windshield, and then the, you know, the rest of the glass of the vehicle, it's two different kinds of glass. Don't waste your time time trying to kick out a windshield, um, or break it. You know, it's better to go for your passenger or driver's side windows, um, break them and go out sunroofs, obviously, if you can go out that way. Um, but then I go through, all right, now, okay, how's, what's some other ways, you know, there's the common sense ways, then there's some other ways, your headrest, if you, if you literally dislocate it, pull it out. And we actually got to do it where you, you know, you take the, you know, headrest is really just two bars stuck down into the seat. You can, you can remove the whole thing and the bars have points on the end, um, or the rods and you wedge it between, you know, the, the molding where you're at the bottom of your door and when the glass meet, you kind of turn it into a fulcrum, stick it down in there, pull back and boom, the glass will shatter and out you go. And it's important to note the two different kinds of glass, right? You have safety glass, which is your passenger windows, front and back, right? Driver's side windows, all your side windows. Um, but your windshield is, is, is tempered. It's, it's set to, it's, or it's laminated, sorry. And so it's, it's built to withstand projectiles flying at it. I mean, that's why the windshield is a much different kind of treated glass. And it's the last one that you want to try and shatter or break because it's very difficult. Um, so always aim for like passenger driver's side windows when you talk about breaking a window and getting out. But ideally, you have these windows already open and you're giving yourself uh, an easy means of escape and understand the dynamics of a vehicle too. You know, when you talk about deep water, you know, the engine end of the vehicle is going to sink first and you kind of want to get out of the vehicle and go away from the weight, you know? So if you're in a sports car and your engine is in the rear, well, then you're going to get out and go towards the hood. And if, uh, if your engine is, you know, obviously in the front, like most vehicles, well, then you're going to get out and move towards the trunk. Um, so there is some logic in all this, but you know, most people forget it under stress. That's why it's important to kind of think this stuff through. Um, so that if it ever happens, 
you know what to do. So another scenario that you, you covered in the book that I had never heard of before that I thought was interesting is this idea of virtual kidnappings. Uh, what's a virtual kidnapping and, and how do you handle those? Yeah, so these are on the rise. Um, and what it is is one big hoax. And it relies a lot on someone understanding or knowing your pattern of life. These days, we put our pattern of life all over social media. And that's why it's important not to you know, post everything real time. No one needs to know that you're, you know, at the airport right now, or no one needs to know that you're, uh, you know, on vacation or that you're traveling abroad um, because this is all pattern of life information that uh, bad guys use, especially for virtual kidnappings. And just a couple of weeks ago in the national news was um, a mom who thought her daughter had been kidnapped. And so what these guys do, they'll, they'll call you up and they'll say, hey, you know, we've got your daughter. Um, and then they'll give you a series of directions and have you go around from ATM machine to ATM machine. And then you either give you a drop site or use some kind of, you know, Western Union, you know, money transfer. Um, and they'll do that. And so they terrorized her basically for five hours straight. Here she's thinking her daughter um, had been kidnapped when the reality is her daughter was still exactly where she was and that was at school. Um, but what these guys, and it's important to note, you know, the difference between a real kidnapping and a virtual one, the virtual one where no one's been kidnapped, but they have you believe that they've got your kid. Um, and then you, of course, a parent that knows or loves their kid or any, I mean, any concern whatsoever is going to do what someone says on the other line, but just keep in mind, it's one big hoax. So knowing the differences between a real kidnapping and a virtual one is important. So a virtual one, they're going to keep you on the phone for as long as they can because they don't want you to get off the phone and check in with your loved one. Whereas a real kidnapping, they're going to call you from your daughter's phone just to, you know, that, that sends the message. Okay, it's a call from, on, from my daughter's phone and it's someone else on the line saying, I have your daughter. And they're going to keep their phone calls very short. Um, so caller ID and time on the phone are big indicators of whether you're dealing with a real world event or a hoax. Okay. Second, the amount of money they ask for, if they're asking for, Hey, go to ATM machines and pull out a couple hundred bucks here and there, you know, you might get a thousand bucks out of it. It's probably virtual because a real kidnapper, they're relying on big, big money. So they're, they're, they're not spending a lot of time on the phone because they don't want to be tracked, traced, um, and then they're asking for big, big numbers. They're probably going to ask for, you know, have you drop it at a drop site. Um, and then with the virtual, they'll use a lot of like social engineering and, and just psychology and play on your emotions. And that's really what it is, is one big emotional hoax. And they'll tell you, hey, you know, we're watching you. We're going to watch you when you go to the A2 machine. We're watching you the whole time. If you hang up, you know, we're going to kill your daughter. It's, it's a horrible event, but it's becoming... Um, more and more popular now. And so this is where it goes back to social media. You don't need to post what you're doing when you're doing it, you know, especially if you're flying from New York to London, everyone knows that's a five-hour flight. You know, that's five hours that a loved one cannot communicate with you. And these guys are pretty smart. They won't go deal with the mom and the dad. They'll, they'll hit the grandmother or the grandfather and work them because 
they're going to be a little probably further disconnected from what the, what the loved one has actually got going on. And they're going to do nothing but believe this person because they're older and they think it's real. And, you know, they're, they're, they're probably easier to trick. So anyway, the book breaks all this down and illustrates it, you know, with, uh, with great illustrations to kind of depict the difference between the two. Right. Well, Hey Clint, we've, uh, there's a lot more we could talk about. I mean, like, like I said in the book or the beginning of the podcast, uh, you talk about how to survive in desert situations, Arctic, uh, on a deserted Island, things like that. Um, so where can people find out more about the book and your work? Uh, all of the links to buy the book is at a hundred deadly skills.com. That's one zero zero deadly skills.com. And the book is sold where all books are sold. I mean, whether it's your at the airport or Barnes and Noble, um, you can pick one up. I highly recommend actually getting the book because they're built, you know, they're built to uh, withstand blood and water. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's a nice, it feels like a survival manual. Yeah. Well, hey, Clint, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thank you, Brett. My guest today was Clint Emerson. He's the author of the book, 100 Deadly Skills, Survival Edition. You can find that on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about the book at 100deadlyskills.com. Also check out the show notes at aom.is slash deadlyskills, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. Our show is edited by Creative Audio Lab here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you have any audio editing needs or any audio production needs, check them out at creativeaudiolab.com. We appreciate your support. If you can give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, that really helps us out a lot. Thank you again for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.